We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we broadcast loud and queer, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and recognise their own history as well as their queer history and community members. Hello everyone, you're listening to Loud and Queer on Sin. Uh, that track you just heard was Look At Me Now by Sing Tang, and before that was Do It For You by Dian Tai. I'm here with Mara today, right now in the studio. Hi there. Hello. Um, you brought that track in to share. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us about Skink Tank a bit? They self-described the wimpy pub rock band. Um, I'm a big fan of um, the drummer in it. Uh, Alison Walker is a local musician who taught me how to do live coding, which is a lot of, like how I sketch out ideas to this day, so, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Which actually kind of ties into my first question. I was, um, for anyone that doesn't know Mara, uh, she is a musician, producer, coder, um, making some really interesting uh, experimental stuff. So I guess, like, to start it off, um, well, firstly, welcome to Loud and Queer. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, yeah, so, what, like, what are some of the tools you're, like, currently using to, to produce? Um... Well, the thing I really started off with is a program called Title Cycles, which is um, like basically just written code as uh, like a sequencing tool. And recently I've been moving away from that a fair bit. Uh, a lot of my live sets now are built around uh, like live uh, like recording of like contact mic stuff, um, things like brushes and uh, taps on, on wood and things like this, and uh, a lot of Macs. Macs is another coding environment, but it's a uh, visual, so it looks like a, a big plate of spaghetti up there on a computer screen. Yeah, awesome. Um, so yeah, in terms of like, so those are like the, the practical tools, the ways of making you have. Um, in terms of like general approaches to creating things, um, mm-hmm. do you feel you're kind of like driven by experimentation most of the time or is it kind of like a decent amount of planning that goes into it? Is it like a mix? Uh, no, there's no planning whatsoever. <laughs> if I could plan out what I was doing, I would make pop songs, frankly. But <laughs> um, I don't know. I just sort of um, like play around with the tools that I have and the skills that I have until I find something that's emotionally resonant to me. And then I um, stitch those emotionally resonant things into a larger sort of uh, story. Yeah, totally. No, that's amazing. I definitely, like, everyone's got their own approaches to making music, but I think, yeah, that kind of being driven by experimentation and how, like, your your emotional response to it is definitely uh, a great way to bring things together. You are mentioning title cycles earlier. You, you're live, you've been doing a few live sets this year, um, and you've been using live coding and very dynamic visuals by the looks of it. Um, how is like the process of kind of preparing for a performance like that? Um, so uh, the most stripped back live performance I have is usually uh, a computer that's running title cycles and a, uh, an electron digitone, which is a little FM synth, and a vocal pedal, which is also like a looping auto-tuning thing. Um, the computer with title cycles is mostly like sample playback and live sample manipulation. I'll write out, I don't improvise very much, but I'll say write a lot of code with a lot of randomization in it so that I let the computer improvise a lot of the time. I like stuff that is repetitive but never actually repeats per se. Um, The synthesizer is taking care of more like melodic or... um, yeah, melodic or structural elements of the piece. Sometimes I also control that with the code, but oftentimes it's just on its own. 
and the voice is just i don't know to have a bit more of myself in it really yeah for sure and um do you find like you're pretty like changing some of the gear and software you use out of the time yeah constantly like i said these days i'm using a lot more max as the brain i'm moving farther away from tidal cycles although that's where i started um I have to often like reel myself in like I've played more than a couple gigs with just like a whole table of all this like crazy gear and it it actually usually makes it worse off like the more stuff I have to play with like the less focused I get I suppose yeah makes sense um do you feel like the way I mean do you feel like there's a lot of people doing uh kind of coding music here I know in the US per se there's like that algo mm. algo rave um mm. kind of trend but I don't know if I see it as much here no it's it's quite marginal. There are more than a couple of musicians in uh, Melbourne and Australia doing it. A uh, person who's opening up for Hate Rocket Miscellanea uh, next week, I think, actually has reached out to me because they're going to be using Sonic Pi oh, nice. um, for their set, so that's exciting to me. Um, like I said, Alison uh, Walker um, does some title cycles work. There is a very vague collective of us, but it's very few and far between, and really less than a sort of a lot of the way like title cycles and algorithmic music in general is marketed as sort of as like a scene per se to me it's just like an one instrument among many you know yeah. like i relate just as well to musicians who use other tools totally i think like future generations who kind of grow up learning coding at school and stuff will see it a lot more that way mm. what's well, like i don't know a lot of people our age myself included it's like coding is still very you know Oh, yeah, it has, like, a weird, like, black magic feeling to it. It really excites people. They're like, wow, you can do that. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, dude. <laughs> Shaking it out. Um, so, yeah, one of your projects um, from a few years ago, Throwing Knives, was recorded in one take with title cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was made with pieces from live performances. Um, did approaching a project like that feel different to preparing, like, a live performance? Um, no, that was, like... That project sort of developed from, like, the earliest live sets I did, which were all title cycles um, all the time. And it was really, really uh, good as a tool for starting out on because you could just bring, like, your crappy little laptop that you would do, like, uni courses on uni- or high school work in even. And you that's the only thing you need to enter into, like, performing at like proper live music venues you know because you can project the screen of it and everyone's wowed by the code versus if you're just like some kid and you're just like messing around with ableton behind a laptop screen people get quite bored quite quick um and it was just really a synthesis of all of the sets i was doing around that time into one big project yeah that's a really interesting point that you made about the um the visual element of it because Mm -hmm. it is true like a lot of people uh, kind of like producing or making like really interesting music now with like new music tools but in terms of like translating that into a live performance can be really tricky sometimes mm. even if you are doing a lot with the software like demonstrating that um, yeah it's interesting how do you do you, do you focus a lot on visuals or do you see it like very equal to the music um these days I actually don't do uh, audiovisual stuff all that often. Yeah. I did um a really nice audiovisual set um at Miscellanea around July. Um that was more the exception than the rule. Yeah. Um Yeah, it was similar kind of process to how I would actually make music, which is that I would just find like clips of like internet detritus more or less that were like emotionally resonant for me for one way or the other. And I would 
have the code going while also like juggling these clips playing at the same time. Um, it was just also a form of long form sampling really, which is like still uh, very present in my music and like will be on the track that uh, is going to be shown on this uh, interview. Yeah, which actually um, we are we'll probably play that fairly soon. Um, but yeah, keen to ask about it. So it's going to be a part. The tracks we're going to be playing in a moment are going to be part of like a new album coming out. Mm -hmm. uh, what what can you tell us about it? Um, new album's going to be called "I'm Just One Person." It's coming out on JPEG Artifacts. Uh, been caught up in sort of like admin side of it for a while, so I can't give you a definite release date right now, but pretty soon. So keep your eyes peeled. If anyone listening wants to hear the rest of it, you can just DM me on Instagram. I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> nice, awesome. Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, before we jump into it, is there? Do you have any other um, upcoming gigs you'd want to talk about? Mm -hmm. uh, later this month, I'm doing a collaborative set at Subclub for an event called Hardware Theory uh, with my friend uh, Akshay, who performs under the name AK Dev, and uh, that'll be like five to six in a club environment, which is very different to what I usually do, which is exciting for me. And uh, early December, I'm opening for a band called Procop from the 10th, and uh, on the 18th next month, I'm opening for a band called Concentration. I'm very excited for that one. Nice, awesome. Subclub should be fun. I feel like mm. that's a like, very open venue in, mm. as far as like club settings go. Yeah, I think it sounds better than anywhere in Melbourne. Like, I'm <laughs> super excited just to like make an ear-piercingly bad sound and put it over those speakers. Yeah, uh, going to be great. All right, so where can people um, find you online to keep up with the music and know where the gigs upcoming uh, best way to follow me is on instagram i'm mara just type in mara and then put about 10 ras on the end and my name will pop up yeah awesome and um if you check out Bandcamp as well mara mm -hmm. but yeah uh we're gonna jump into these new tracks now um is there anything else you'd want to say about them before we jump in i'd like to thank the people who gave me permission to use their voices on it because uh there's a lot of them and uh, it's quite vulnerable stuff that's all. Mara, thank you so much for coming on to Loud and Queer. Thank you. Hope you have a lovely Sunday afternoon. And here are some untitled tracks from an upcoming project. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Loud and Queer on Sin. I'm Sammy. Uh, and you just heard some tracks from Mara's upcoming uh, album, I'm Just One Person. So good. But now we're going to be talking about an exhibition uh, by Trocadero. We'll just jump right into the interview. Here with some artists today who are going to be featured in an upcoming group exhibition, Two Little Houses, which is going to be exploring ideas of self-curated space and uh, the dichotomy of public art practice and personal art making, uh, kind of asking what does it mean to be an artist in public and in private? And yeah, we'll talk about more about the details of the event soon. But uh, yeah, welcome everyone. Would you like to all introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Amy Green. My pronouns are she, her. I'm Chocodero Project's marketing coordinator and one of the co-creators of this exhibition, Two Little Houses. So I'm a practicing artist and graphic designer. And at the moment, I'm really enjoying uh, making comics. My name is Morgan Snell and I'll take whatever pronouns you're feeling like giving me on any given day. My art practice is mostly drawing and writing, but uh, I kind of do a bit of everything and I just like to to follow what feels good on any given day. Hey, I'm Vicky. I go by she, they, and my artist name 
that I go by is Handbag Full of Worms. The kind of art I do is a whole range of stuff. Um, I mean, I do painting kind of just for fun. I just finished my first year of uni, but I've been doing art long before that. And yeah, I guess my art's personal because that's the point. <laughs> Very true. What can you tell us about the exhibition? So two little houses and their chimney smokes adjoining is a collaboration with Melbourne's Living Museum of the West. It is a group exhibition featuring Matilda Davis, Amy Green, Ruma Guerrero, Handbag Full of Worms, Maddie Mercer, Ruby McComsky, Morgan Lee Snell, Olive Snell and Emily Spratt. Awesome. Did you want to do a like little intro to Trocadero as well? The Trocadero Projects is an artist-run initiative. So we present a diverse and experimental program of exhibitions and events. We're entirely run by volunteers and we strive to provide a safe and engaging environment for artists to exhibit in, develop from and contribute to the Maribyrnong community. So our current focus is on artistic development projects and we're also, we've been running uh, pop-ups around Footscray and Maribyrnong in this past year. So you can find out more about us at trocaderoartspace.com.au or find us on Insta or Facebook at Trocadero Projects. All right, so the Two Little Houses exhibition is, well, the opening is only a week away. It's going to be running from November 19th till December 15th. The opening event is from 1.30 on November 19th. Yeah, how's everyone feeling? Uh, pretty, pretty excited. I mean, Trocadero is really excited to be collaborating with the Living Museum of the West. I think because we, um, for the past year, have been operating in pop-up spaces, we've been putting a lot of effort into like specific community outreach and development. And we're really happy to be collaborating on this project because the work that the Living Museum does in the West is really interesting and cool. Yeah, I'm really excited. Today was our first day of installing and um, it was crazy as that kind of stuff always is. A little like just the last minute, everything goes a little haywire, but um, it was good. We had a good soundtrack going and uh, we're really looking forward to sharing what we've been working on for like probably, uh, I feel like we started conceptualizing this like a year ago mm. now. And it's one of those things that I think, especially during install, can be a bit like painting a house. Like it's only until the last layer goes on that you're like, yeah, that looks good. Yeah. <laughs> Up until then, it's just like a work uh, in progress. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm super excited to be in this exhibition, like amazing opportunity. And yeah, I feel blessed to be able to show all my weird little things in alongside other artists. It's going to be great. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, you mentioned like going to, to visit the site today and starting install. Um, how's everyone feeling about like having an exhibition at the Living Museum of the West and like that? I mean, very interesting space for exhibitions. They've done them well in the past. Are you like going there today? Was it like kind of cool walking around and figuring out where everything goes? Because it's kind of not your standard like exhibition setup, I would imagine. But how did you feel about building the space today? Because that was, it's interesting. Yeah, the Living Museum are quite, have been really generous towards us and they have so, so much in their archives. And it's really like a treasure trove that I think can be a little overwhelming at times. 
um, to have all this back material to access and how we want to work with that because I think we really wanted the exhibition to kind of include archival bits but in an organic way so only if the artists want and to kind of see what's been in the space before and what looks good there and what makes sense with the pre-existing artworks that are coming into the exhibition because the exhibition is pre-existing artworks rather than ones commissioned for the space. So it's about how they're set up in the space um, and how that interacts with the museum's projects. So I guess slight spoiler alert, it kind of does look a little bit like a house, especially with the way that the living museum looks like the ceilings and the building itself. Well, I, I thought it was really nice. I, I think it's really nice that we're doing this interview now because the first time I actually went to the Pipe Makers Park in the Living Museum was when I did the walking tour with you. Feels like a cute full circle. Then like getting this email from you suddenly saying like, let's do this interview. Yeah, for sure. I definitely love the museum, but um. No, it's really cool to see them kind of inviting people back to kind of repurpose the space a bit more. For anyone that hasn't been there before listening, it's um, it's like repurposed um, historical buildings that were at one point meatworks factories and pipe factories. Um, yeah, they've been repurposed a lot, but the vis- main visitor centre um, definitely kind of feels very, very homey. I had a question. Yeah, so the um, do you feel like it worked really well as a space as well with the, the themes? Um, of the exhibition kind of being that like exploration of the dichotomy of like private and personal art making and like kind of the museum itself is uh, looking at kind of like personal histories and like history in more kind of a general community personal sense. Um, So there is some kind of like things in their archives that is are like quite personal stories that are being kind of like archived and shared. Um, So yeah, I don't know, that question kind of like lost me, but if everyone has any comments on like the connections between the exhibition's themes and like the museum's purpose? Today, while we were setting up, Chaz Manning from the museum was just bringing out all these archival pieces for us to go through, like piles and piles of stuff, all these gorgeous like pictures of families in their homes or like just local people out and about in Footscray and the West. I think a bit of the ethos behind the exhibition Artworks being objects of like your personal history as well plays really well with the archives. So some of these pieces in the archive aren't necessarily like prints or photographs, but it is pieces that make up, I guess, how we curate our own lives yeah, or like place ourselves within other people's lives and like the social and cultural history around us. Yeah, like even even just there were like some uniforms there, some old um, like garments that they'd found in in one of the factories nearby, and like especially things like that. I think we're kind of looking at in the exhibition as well, like textiles as art forms and pieces of clothing as as like an art form and expressing yourself through them or like what 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 you wear might mean to who you are the bathrooms were giving like primary school vibes 
and I really enjoyed that was my first time going there today and yeah the feeling was like I've done a few exhibitions but this one kind of felt like super aligned to my practice um nice sometimes a rare feeling for people having like a space that can align with your practice it's good yeah because usually an exhibition you walk in and it's just like an empty space and like white walls and um yeah it just felt like you were a part of something already without even setting anything up yeah there's definitely existing character in the space Mm. which is a nice thing to be invited into and to play with so not a specific art um, gallery and exhibition space but part of a more integral program and programming yeah awesome all right so um talking about uh kind of what you mentioned before um how did everyone kind of respond to the themes of the exhibition um and like how was everyone creating for it with this idea of like personal versus private art practice um like how do you yeah so present for me, those themes part in, of, in a public art space um, my creative process i feel like there is a bit of a burden to have um a very public persona or there's a lot associated with the image of the artist that often seems to clash with a lot of our artistic practices like it puts a lot of pressure on us it makes us focus on specific kinds of art and specific kinds of production and exhibitions and I've really enjoyed I guess trying to think about what about my artistic process is integral to my like personhood like things that I do like trying to reconfigure my brain around how I'm thinking about artistic output as rather like what part of my everyday life feels creative and artistic and trying to focus more on that. So, yeah, I've been really enjoying taking my time sculpting little things and focusing on having, I guess, something smaller to show. Yeah, well, I I think even like this morning when we were getting ready to leave, I was kind of um, in a panic because I was like, Amy, what do I put in the show? Like, I can't put any of my stupid little tripper drawings in the show like they're not real proper art like they don't have like some deeper meaning but like that's kind of the whole point of the exhibition it's fine if they don't I had I, I made them like their drawings of my people that I love and their drawings full of colors that I like and like they might not be life-changing but but I mean even then they kind of are like they're it's it's a life-changing experience to be making a work of art and it like fills you with a new kind of invigoration for life you're like I gotta get to the end I gotta fill this page I gotta sew this cushion up (laughs) it's an object of your like personal history yeah and your investment in it is like your investment in your memories yeah yeah uh I feel like the title of the painting that I'm using for the exhibition says a lot about the exhibition because it's the painting that I could never sell and not because I want to, because it. I don't think I could part with it. Um, so, yeah, really keen to hear about what everyone is working on for the exhibition, if you can, not to spoil it, but like the mediums you've been working in for it or, yeah, anything like that you'd be willing to mention. So I'm um, going to be displaying a couple of drawings, but I'm also displaying some um, 
soft sculptures for the first time, which is exciting. They're kind of just like silly little things that I made for myself, but that really ties into what we're trying to do with this exhibition. So <laughs> now's my chance. Sick. Yeah, my um, piece for the exhibition is uh, a little sculpture that I've been working on carving 30 small teeth out of air dry clay and I deliberately am averse to using tools or big paint brushes because I like to take my time, um, <laughs> which I'll say is because I find it quite um, soothing to carve tiny little teeth, but also I think it kind of returns the object to, I think we're quite disconnected from the idea that people have to still make all the objects that we have. And I think that when we are, you know, creating these really elaborate artworks that are hand sewn or um, we invest a lot of time in the tiny details. It's celebrating that things can take a long time to make and it's fun to make it. Yeah. Even if it is just a tiny handful of teeth at the end of the day. Yeah. Beautiful teeth. Yeah. I feel like I could have rephrased that much more succinctly. I think that was good. That was good. Yeah. I read this um, interview from Paul Yore the other day that was talking about how long it actually takes him to make the quilts. Oh my God, I've always wondered that. Because I always assumed there was like a huge team behind it. Yeah. I believe so, yes. Which, yeah, which that makes is, me love it even more. Which also intimidates me because some <laughs> of those exhibitions, like the amount of quilts, it's like I can't. The like Justin Bieber house yeah. made of quilt. Yeah. The amount of time. Yeah, and Paul was like, it's really great to be able to have people um, celebrate how much I enjoy returning to taking time to make things and that that artistic practice isn't about productivity. It's about how much you are going to enjoy making the thing, usually. Well, it is for Paul. Hopefully for us. <laughs> Hopefully. I enjoyed my tiny teeth. That makes a lot of sense, though especially that idea of like um, productivity with a lot of other stuff that you're kind of making. Um, there is like a sense of when it's done, when it's like done well, but with like art practice could like, which technically never finish a project. Like you could always tweak away at something in that sense. So it is really about like your own um, understanding of like when something is finished, like it is really just up to you. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of my works, like maybe they look, like unfinished because I don't like do I I know when it's done and like I don't feel the need to clean it up to make it look like presentable to someone because it's what it is already and that's when I know that it's done so sometimes there's little bits that and I won't fix them because there's no need to don't have to <laughs> don't have to it's me <laughs> baby yeah it's like <laughs> and yeah for for this exhibition what I'm showing uh is a painting but also uh trinkets so little things that you hang on to and you know some of them I didn't make like a bobby pin I didn't I didn't make the bobby pin but I don't know when you see a bobby pin on the ground and then you see you put it up on a wall it's art so 
you know, um, yeah. Objects of affection. Yeah. They really tell a cohesive story of like who Vicky is as well. She's like getting out this pile of stuff and it's like, there she is. <laughs> I feel like anyone could do that. Like if everyone just collected like a bunch of items from their room or their house and put it up on a wall, that would be in, in like a look into who they are or what, what they're feeling at the time. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting, like considering that in terms of the history of museums as well, this idea of like your version of like a Wonder Room or something is like a bobby mm. pin and a little stuffed toy and like a scrunchie on the wall. Wunderkammer. Yeah. Yeah, and people can connect with it because it's an everyday object, so they know it, they're familiar with it, and they have their own like interpretation of what it means, like what what does a bobby pin mean to you? So yeah, the exhibition is going to be at Melbourne's Living Museum of the West uh, from November 19th to December 15th, and the opening event is November 19th at 1.30. Yeah, where can people find out more online and um, sus RSVPing for opening event? So you can find out more about Melbourne's Living Museum of the West at livingmuseum.org.au. You can RSVP to the opening event of the exhibition at link tree slash trocadero projects awesome all right thanks so much everyone for coming on to loud and queer thanks so much for having us thank you this podcast is brought to you by sin media